you'll go back to the book of Acts with me again tonight, where we were this morning. We're going to look at one particular verse this evening and talk about the concern of prayer for the church. As we continue to talk about being witnesses of the Word of God, witnesses of the Word who is Jesus Christ, uh, we realize that something that is indispensable in doing so is a an understanding of dependence upon God's power. And as we submit and yield to the Lord, one way we do that is by expressing ourselves through the communication of prayer to God. In the year 1806, there were five seminary students who here in the United States found a just an open field and they decided that they were going to meet to talk about their common concern for world missions. They wanted to talk about the theological implications of, you know, how do you go about doing this in a way that honors Christ? And so they're just meeting out in this field and, and talking about different scripture passages and bouncing ideas off of one another. And all of a sudden, a, a very severe rainstorm comes up. So much so that they're either going to have to disband and run back to their homes, but instead they they noticed that nearby there was a, a very large haystack. And somehow it got into their minds. I think it was the Holy Spirit kind of planted the thought into their minds. They went for cover in the lees of that haystack. And as they went there, and I don't know exactly what, I would probably have been sneezing my head off if it was uh, me in there. But uh, they were able to stay dry enough at least to turn from conversation to one another to say, you know what, let's, Let's implore God for His divine guidance. And so they turned the rest of their time that they had into a prayer meeting. And as it would have, that was really the springboard for the starting of a mission board that was founded by those five men. And really, the the first large-scale American missionary effort was born out of that. Of course, we can't undervalue the importance of prayer, can we? Prayer is by all Christians, acknowledged to be important, but probably all of us would recognize that sometimes it's very difficult to do. Uh, sometimes it's, it's like the verse says, the spirit is willing, <laughs> but our flesh is weak. There is a, there's a discipline to pray. As we continue thinking about the early church, and they're making that transition, as I was talking about this morning, of Christ no longer being physically present in his human form in in their midst that they took to the seriousness of prayer and not just independently but coming together and I think there was a an encouragement to pray with an intensity and a sincerity by doing it that way because left to our own uh, we, we can begin to wander, we can begin to lose our focus, we can lose our zeal. And I think as God's people come together, as Hebrews 10 talks about, we don't forsake our assembling together. There is a mutual encouragement that, that sort of fans the flames of those embers in our heart. And here in verse 14 of Acts chapter 1, we see that it's just talked about the, the gathering of those disciples in this upper room. And verse 14 says, 
These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. This is what we would call corporate prayer. The getting together of God's people and praying in a group. There is an alarming rate of churches that are ceasing to do collective congregational prayer meetings. Uh, It sometimes isn't considered popular. But if you read anything about the revivals of our past, you find out that revivals and God's people seeing the Lord move always began with a healthy bathing of the situation in prayer by God's people. And here we have something wonderful that's about to happen. The the pushing forth of the church, not just into Jerusalem, but moving out into the uttermost parts of the earth. And, And really with what resources they had at that day and time. They didn't have airplanes. They didn't have internet. They didn't have radio and television. They didn't have the printing press and movable type. They didn't have any of those things, but they had feet. And they could go. And they could find people. And they could share the gospel. And they had knees on which they could kneel and pray and implore for God to use them. And of course we see the gospel going forth with great power. But what were God's people doing? They were given to prayer. So the question is, why do we pray together as a church? Why on Wednesday nights do we dedicate a, a portion of the time to take prayer requests and then to pray together? Why do we have a men's prayer meeting on Saturday mornings? Why do we call for special prayer meetings as we're ready to enter a revival service? It's because God works when His people pray. So why do we pray as a church? Why do we pray together? A couple things. Number one, we see that they were praying for direction. The Christians were praying for direction. In verse 12, of course, it talks about how the disciples, and we stopped just short of this verse this morning, but the disciples, after Jesus had ascended up into heaven, and the angel had spoken to them, they come back to Jerusalem from Mount Olivet, where Christ has ascended. And really the question that isn't voiced here, but we know probably was on their minds, so now what do we do? Isn't that the logical question? Okay, Go. Now what do we do next? In verse 15 of this chapter, we see Peter is directed in a very scriptural fashion. It says, In those days Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said the number of names together were about 120. And he says, Men and brethren, this scripture, what scripture? Maybe you have a little cross-reference in your Bible and you might see that what he's going to refer to here is found in Psalm 109 and verse 8. He's talking about Judas vacating that spot as being a disciple. And Peter somehow is familiar with this passage of Scripture in Psalm 109. Uh, no doubt he was, he was in his Bible. He was in the Scriptures. He had heard things. I also have to believe that God probably 
prompted him with certain things. And it's amazing how over the years I've found over and over again that at just the right time, something that I've read, maybe not even recently, or a verse or a part of a verse that I've memorized, God will bring it right to the front of my mind at a time that I need it most. And, and it's as if God is saying, this is my direction. This is what you need to do. Again, we can't undervalue the importance of really knowing God's word deeply in the recesses of our being. But obviously they're praying in verse 14. And as they're praying, pop, scripture comes to mind. And a situation at hand. You know, Judas, he's gone. So what do we do? And it says, let his bishopric, another take. So, all right, well, we need to obey Scripture. And I was praying, and this Scripture verse came to my mind. And and they were praying for direction. And they needed direction in many different items. But this was obviously the first thing that God prompted him with, to say to the group, you know, we should not necessarily be looking for novel revelation. Sometimes I've, I hear people that profess to be Christians talk about, you know, I'm, I'm just praying for God to give me a word of knowledge. Well, we've got words of knowledge right here. And we've far from exhausted what is here. And God is still dynamically using the words of knowledge to apply them in specific applications of daily life all along the way. And it is really spine-tingling to me. This is the thrill of the Christian life, to, to know I can pray and ask for God to use me and direct me, and He will do that. He will bring situations, and Scripture will come along to confirm in my mind that this is what you need to do next, and realize this is God using me as a, a vessel, just a dirty pot somehow but he's filling me with his power to be used by him and what a privilege what a humbling privilege that is now we could go about and say i'm going to do this today i'm going to do that today and we could be very vain in all of our approach even if we're doing spiritual activity we need to be doing the spiritual activity god directs us to do how are we going to know what that is if we're not praying and imploring for god to divinely direct us so anchor baptist church i would say we need to be continuing to pray in this category lord we need wisdom and we need understanding and we need to know how to carry out the specific commands that you've given to us as a church as an individual, need to know how to use the spiritual gift that you've endowed me with. And as we read our Bibles, the Holy Spirit has the capacity to illuminate our minds. This is what it says in John 14:26. The Holy Spirit is to bring all things to your remembrance, Jesus said to his disciples. And that's what we need to expect today as Anchor Baptist Church. So number one, they were praying for direction. Number two, they were praying for a unified zeal. Praying, or I should say, with a, a unified zeal. It says they were in one accord. They had the same passion, in other words. Now, this does not say they all thought identically. 
doesn't mean that they didn't have various opinions about certain things. Didn't mean they had all the same taste about certain things. No, they were individuals and unique. But where it came down to the essentials of serving Christ, they were as one seamless entity. You know, unity is such an important thing. How good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Now, we enjoy hearing music. But when you hear music, a lot of times, not everybody is singing the exact same note. You have people that are intentionally singing other notes that make up chords. And chords communicate different emotions and can bring up certain feelings. You can hear a discordant chord that can be ominous, communicate something like that. You can hear a majestic tone. And though you might have a soprano singing the melody note, and then you have altos and tenors and basses singing three separate notes, as they blend their voices together, there's still unity. See, you can have unity without identicalness. And so it was with the early church. You need unity, unity to be ready for God's working. If you look at chapter 2, if you just glance over there, it refers to when the day of Pentecost was fully come. Well, they had a feast of Pentecost every year. That word fully, and we'll get into that when we get to that section of scripture there but this is the idea that god had a a perfect timetable of what was happening the amount of time that was going to exist between the time that jesus ascended and left these people to be praying together and preparing their hearts and getting their minds focused the way it needed to be was so that when pentecost fully came when that day on the calendar hit, that they were fully ready for it. Well, how does that happen? It's when God's people have a unity of purpose. And at this point, they didn't know what was going to happen next in Acts chapter 2. Jesus didn't tell them. He didn't say, now there's going to be a whole lot of languages spoken. There's going to be an incredible influx of people that are going to, going to believe and come into the church. It's going to knock your socks off. He doesn't tell them any of that. All they knew, know is, we better pray. Because we don't know what's going to happen next. You know, that's the best thing for a church to do. Is to say, we know we want God to work. We know that God wants to work. And perhaps the only holdback is us. Because we're not unified and longing for it. It does say in that verse, Acts 2.1, they were all with one accord. Same phrase. They were all with one accord. There was that harmony of spirit in Christ. They were ready for God's working. I firmly believe sometimes we don't see God's working because we haven't prepared our hearts adequately for it. We don't have that unity. And why don't we have that unity? Maybe because we're not praying for it. That phrase, one accord, also shows up in verse 46 of Acts chapter 2. As it's kind of summing up what has happened. And you've had this 
new large number of people that have gotten saved. It didn't just say, well, we had a great day. A lot of people made decisions. Hope we can do this again someday. No, that was that uh, day of Pentecost was sort of the starting gun for the race that's still going on. And verse 46, and we use this verse a lot when we're trying to sort of create a framework of, okay, what are the, the non-negotiables that we need to be focused on as a church even today? And a lot of people, a lot of theologians will go there to this verse. But notice what it says in verse 46. And they continuing daily with what? One accord. There's that same phrase again. And what we're going to see in this verse is a unity that results in consistent gathering. Because they continue daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house and did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. When, when God's people understand God's work, you want to be together. You, you're drawn to each other. Why? Because we live in a hostile culture. And as we come together, you realize these are people that think like I think, that have the same purpose that I have. I love Jesus and they love Jesus. And we can get together and all that really matters is talking about Jesus and doing what Jesus wants us to do. And I can't get enough of that. That's really what's going on here. Unity results in consistent gathering. Unity also rejoices in persecution. It wasn't all easy. It wasn't all days of Pentecost where they were on the top of the world and everybody else was like, whoa, what's happening here? Because given the world enough time, the opposition raises its ugly head and says, hey, we can't let this go unanswered. The world wants to say, we've got to put a kibosh on this somehow. Satan is not going to sit on his hands. And so in Acts chapter 4, we see that the chief rulers, religious leaders are like, we've got to find out who the leaders are and let's, uh, let's put a muffle on them. And so they haul them up in front of the chief priests and elders. In verse 24 of Acts 4, it says, And when they heard that... In other words, all the chief priests and elders said they lifted up their voice to God. In other words, they're giving a report back after they've returned back from being having their hands smacked, so to speak, and being told, don't talk about that Jesus anymore. Hey, we can't but speak the things which we have seen and heard. I, I, I'm like one of those rocks. I've got to cry out. And so they come back and they report to the church and what does the church do? They lifted up their voice to God with what? One accord. There's that phrase again. And said, Lord, Thou art God. This is a prayer, by the way, isn't it? They lift up their voice. Lord, Thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all them is. You know, what's going on here? There is a celebration about God's power, about the grace of God, about how, hey, if we just serve Jesus... We don't need to fear what man can do unto us. If God's in it, Satan can't stop it. The gates of hell will not prevail against the kingdom of Christ. And, 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 and we get excited about that when we see the work of God going forward. Will there be persecution? There will always be persecution. If we're not facing some sort of persecution, 
then we're probably not doing something right. Unity rejoices, though, in the face of persecution. And also, unity rejects sinful actions. You see this phrase one other place here in Acts chapter 5. Of course, this is the story of Ananias and Sapphira. You know, church is going strong. Let's help out each other. There's those that are suffering. They've been disowned by family members. They don't have income now. Well, let's just all bring our possessions and resources and make one big pot so we can take care of everybody. And yet there were those that were opportunists, such as Ananias and Sapphira. And they lied about what they were doing because they wanted to promote themselves and, and yet still hold on to their goods. And so we know the story. Ananias is struck dead. Sapphira is struck dead. Verse 12, the second part of the verse, it says, And they were all with what? One accord in Solomon's porch. You know, today there are people that would try to be marketers and promoters of church and say, Hey, we're going to come in and tell you how to make your church successful. First of all, get rid of negativity. You know, there's way too much preaching against, you know, what's wrong in people's lives. You need to be upbeat about things. Well, you know, you can't get too much more negative than, than pointing your finger at a guy and watch him drop dead. And then his wife comes in and says, hey, you're in cahoots with your husband about this. And she drops dead. Marketers would say, I'm pretty sure this might cause some people not to want to come back after they visited your church. But what happened instead? Right? What happened instead? They're all with one accord. They fused tighter. Verse 13 says, And the rest durst no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them, and the believers were the more added to the Lord. Multitudes both of men and women. You don't see this taught in the popular books of church growth today, do you? Now, I'm not saying pray for someone to drop dead in your service. That's not the point of what's being said here. Being unapologetic for preaching against sin, like we heard in Sunday school this morning. Pray for revival. You've got to take the hard roads. You need to not put your finger in the wind and say, I wonder which way popularity is blowing and what the polls are saying. No. What does God's Word say? God blesses that. Blesses that in a real way. He's honored. What else do we see about the people of God praying together as a church? They were third. They were praying with exaltation and expectation. The word prayer in this verse, verse 14, literally has behind it a word that means prayer with worship. Prayer with praise. You see, the Scripture is never redundant never wordy unnecessarily if you see more than one word it's there for an, a purpose and you say what well, sort of thought prayer and supplication were the same thing well both of them involve talking to god but the prayer aspect of it is just where we stop and say lord you're just amazing lord i am small but you're immense lord you can take care of anything why did i ever doubt you and it's just really uplifting and worshiping and magnifying god Second Chronicles six fourteen, Solomon is at the dedication of the temple. He kneels down. The king. Kings don't typically kneel, right? 
he kneels down appropriately, spreads his hands before heaven and says, O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like thee in the heaven, nor in the earth, which keepeth covenant, showeth mercy unto thy servants, that walk before thee with all of their hearts. And he goes on. And he's just gushing about God, but he's praying. He's praising. Folks, we need to do that in our prayer life. We need to be praising God. We need to be lifting Him up, magnifying Him, loving Him with our words. So how do I do that better? Meditate in the Psalms. You know, Psalm 19 starts with looking at God's general revelation. God, you're amazing. Walk outside. Take a look at what's going on every day that we live in this wonderful earth that He's created us to be able to enjoy and given us dominion over. If you can't find something to praise God for as the Creator, you're not looking. So they praised God. And they petitioned God. That's what supplication means. A prayer request. And it's easy for us to do that. Sometimes we think, I feel bad about asking God for anything. He wants us. He's our Heavenly Father, and He's honored when we think enough of Him to say, Lord, I'm coming to You rather than anyone else. We have to humble ourselves and we have to ask help, don't we? So it's like, I'm going to go into the store and, you know, I'm annoyed. Someone came up to me and like, no, you know, I'm in Lowe's Hardware. Can I help you? I'm like, do I look like an idiot? You know? I have frequent flyer miles in this store. You Don't you know who I am, you know? Like, I think I can find, unless you pull one of these Walmarts where you like to play merry-go-round with the stock, so it's always in a different spot every time you come in, right? So when we have to ask, it's kind of like, okay. We know what? God's honored when we humble ourselves. The Corinthian church were praised for interceding for Paul and his company and the second epistle, chapter 1, verse 11, Paul says, Ye also helping together by prayer for us. Paul's bragging on how they were praying. He's commending them. Why? He says, I know you were praying for me. And I can't thank you enough for that. And I love it when our missionaries come back and say, You know what? Thank you for praying for us. Some of you have written emails. Some of you have called. Some of you have sent cards saying, we're praying for you. You've come up and you've said things that indicate you're reading our prayer letters and know what's going on. And we're praying for you in this regard. We know that the Rogers family needs another place or you know, this particular person that we're praying for in Kiari that the Owens are working with, trying to disciple them into Christ. You know, when we do that, that shows care at a deepest level. We should not think of this aspect of prayer as being discontent. Well, if I'm asking God for something, he might might think that I'm not happy with the way things are. We're encouraged to petition God. He has things He's waiting to give to us. He knows what we have need of before we even ask for it. He still wants us to ask for it. This couplet of praise and petition, prayer and supplication, we see in other places in the Bible. Let me just give you a couple verses. Philippians 4, 6. Be careful for nothing. Recognize this verse. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and... There you go. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. 
Ephesians 6.18, praying always with prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. So, folks, we realize that it's, it is, when we pray, it needs to have both of those elements very dominant in our prayer life. Exalting God and expectation from God. In faith, Lord, I know that you're going to answer this prayer. Don't know how. As our testimony sort of indicated before the message. You know, I don't know how you're going to do it. Might not even be how I'm thinking you might do it. But I know that you're going to take care of the situation. But then fourthly, we see that they were praying as families. There's all kinds of prayer meetings, as I mentioned. We love our men's prayer meeting. It's the men get together and we pray together as as brothers in Christ. But this seems to be a montage of people. We've got ladies here. And children often weren't mentioned if they were present. But I wouldn't be surprised to get to heaven and find out that, you know, there were some children that were there because if the women are there, who's watching the children if they don't have them there with them? And how do they learn how to pray as adults when they're children? What, 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 what are we supposed to do when we get to be adults if they don't watch the adults and see? Wow, you know, that was, that was powerful. And then when they see Pentecost happen and they realize, I remember Peter. I remember my dad praying, you know, for the Spirit to come. And here it is. Wow, this is amazing. You know, the next generation needs to see this generation pray. Acts 16.13 says that on the Sabbath, of course, this is Paul going to Philippi. There's not enough Jewish men in this community to have a synagogue, probably, is what most commentators believe, because he usually would go to a synagogue first. So he's like, I need to find a place where there's a gathering of people that have at least a basis in Scripture. So he asked around, and it seems to indicate that Someone said, well, you know, there's, there's some people that get down by the river and they're doing something spiritual, talking about Jehovah and all that stuff. In Acts 16, 13, it says, And on the Sabbath we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made. In other words, where a prayer meeting was supposed to take place. It might indicate that maybe he got to the spot before it was going to happen. And we sat down, and then it says, and we spake unto the women which resorted thither. And so maybe the women are arriving slowly to show up there in this public spot. And, and Paul's already there. But there was a prayer meeting going to happen. Paul's like, no better place to go than where people are going to be praying to God and give them fuller understanding about the Scripture. This passage goes on to explain that in that group was a woman named Lydia. Most likely she had been invited by the others. She was not a Christian, but she was a God-fearer. And she responded to what Paul had to say that day as he gave a, a preaching, he gave a sermon, a devotional, something. And later she's baptized. Why? Well, believers got together and prayed. And God honored that prayer. So praise God for men, women, boys, girls who bring their neighbors to Christ. But folks, we can't underscore enough and bold enough 
the fact that we need to be a praying church. Later in Acts chapter 12, or coming back, I guess I should say, from Acts 16 into Acts 12, we see Herod Agrippa I. To give you perspective, this would be the grandson of Herod the Great, the wicked Herod that uh, had called for the infanticide of the, the children of Bethlehem. And it says in Acts 12, verse 1, that he was stretching forth his hands to vex certain of the church. There's that persecution again, right? Problems for the church. And what happened? James, the son of Zebedee, was executed. Did that slip by God? No. God was ready for him to come home. They did wicked, but God always means it for good. His popularity poll, his by that I mean Herod Agrippa, uh, his popularity poll with the Jews soared. Why? Because the Jews hated the Christians. They, the Christians were a reminder to them that they had crucified Jesus. And, and they're seeing these Christians, thousands of them, right now in Jerusalem. This was disheartening to them. So yeah, if you can get rid of a leader like James, you know, more power to you. So he said, okay, that worked well. I'm a politician. What else can I do to raise up in the polls even higher? I'll get that Peter. They like him a lot. So they take him, plan to execute him. Thing is, God's not done with Peter yet, right? We have the the angel come, release him out of prison, and takes him back. And you have the story there at Rhoda's house and all that. And he goes in and think, okay, but what was the church doing? all that time oh i know they were having a prayer meeting they were praying they had a vigil according to verse 5 of acts 12 in fact they were still there praying when peter got out of jail now we don't know how long it lasted but we're sort of led to believe that maybe this was several hours that were going by now, it doesn't say that they had said, okay, we're going to pray and we're not going to stop praying until Peter gets out. It doesn't say that. They were just praying. Praying as the Spirit led them. And remember, they're a little shocked when Peter actually does show up. That shows really the poor faith sometimes that we have. It's kind of like, you know, praying for rain and not bringing your umbrella. All right? That's what they were sort of guilty of there. And it's good to see that. Why? Because we're like that too sometimes. We pray and yet we say, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. We might be sort of pitiful in the way our hearts really believe. Sometimes we might be praying and sort of just going through the motions and saying, Lord, you know, my heart's not completely in it. You know, and then God does something and you're like, oh, shame on me. How did I ever doubt you, God? You you promised. I claimed it. And you did it. And I'm shocked. And it's happened before. To me. And here I am again, right? And yet God still uses us. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that wonderful? He hasn't scrapped the church. God knows He could have because we've been pretty pitiful sometimes as a as an entity and yet he has patience and he's long-suffering and he 
has his glory displayed in us over and over again through the testimonies, through the prayer requests we have. You know, we have much to pray about. I hope that this week you'll be praying for our teenagers throughout the week. But I hope you'll come Wednesday night and pray for them. Pray for our juniors. I pray that you'll come, men, Saturday morning. Pray with us. Pray together. Saying, you know what, how can we expect God to do something amazing if if I'm not willing to put myself out there and do the simple things that He's called me to do? How difficult is it really to pray? And He teaches us how. And He doesn't criticize when we stumble over our words. He says, you don't know how to pray as you ought. I give you the Holy Spirit to make interpretation, lead you. I understand that. I just want you to do it. I'll help you even along the path. Isn't that wonderful? Oh, what a gracious God we have. So, friend, our flesh strives against that prayer life. I know you feel it from time to time because I feel it from time to time. But don't give up praying. It's where the power for the church is. As we throw our dependence upon Christ, say, Lord, use us, work through us, the excellency of the glory might be of you and not of us. May we be a praying church. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Lord, how we need to be reminded of the, the importance of praying. And Lord, not just at scheduled times. Lord, help us to be more spontaneous. Help us to be sensitive to the Spirit's leading, to just stop what we're doing at different times. You know, this would be a good time for us to pray. Two or three people, four or five people. You know, wherever we are, there you are in the midst, you've told us. That's church. That's gathering. So, Father, whether we're at one of our dear brothers, sisters' homes and having prayer, whether we're meeting in a, a restaurant somewhere, whether we're standing outdoors, Lord, a prayer meeting can happen, as we heard tonight, even in the middle of a haystack, Lord. There's no boundaries. Lord, we thank you for that. So, Lord, use us as your humble servants, as we really believe that you still want us to pray. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.